The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by Sim Trainer. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. Here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's news and talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to this first of what will be two pre-election special pre-recorded broadcasts of Shoot from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro in with Mark Avery, and we're from Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's first indoor range and firearms training center. You can visit us on the web at sim-trainer.com. You can come down and see us at our store at 2031 Dryden Road, or you can give us a call at 937-293-3914, and we'd be more than glad to discuss with you on your firearms-related needs or interests. As I mentioned just a few seconds ago, this is the first of a couple shows leading up to the election. We're now uh, inside two weeks. Um, two weeks from Tuesday, this, this past Tuesday, will be uh, uh, probably the most uh, um, significant election of our lifetime. At least and Thursday will be opinion. the last, will, will have been the last of the debates. So uh, if you didn't watch that, you can probably go find it somewhere on YouTube or on one of the news centers. But uh, that is an important uh, extra piece of information for you to inform your vote. And the reason that we are dedicating these last two shows to election related issues is because uh, there are a lot of uh, things that hang in the balance of the outcome. Um, I say that because uh, um, candidate Biden's anti-gun agenda is uh, far-reaching and devastating, quite frankly. Um, and it, it, it not only stops with the anti-gun, but there's a lot of individual rights issues that uh, that campaign is, is promoting. And I just want to start off by mentioning that uh, one of the most sweeping um, provisions that uh, Biden has specified in his anti-gun agenda, which, by the way, you can go to our website um, under the um, news tab, mm -hmm. and you can find uh, his, his agenda relative to, to guns. Um, or you can just go to the Biden, Biden page, but it's just as easy to go to our site, and uh, Mark has conveniently um, put that there for you to read in its entirety. But I just want to highlight, and just to be clear, it is copied from their website, and there's a link to their website. So yeah. you know, we're not we're not uh, rewriting their stuff. We're not trying to emphasize anything. We just want you to know the facts, and the facts speak for themselves. I want to first of all mention that uh, um, one of the very strongest provisions in there is that uh, his agenda would require registration or confiscation of modern sporting rifles, which he labels as weapons of war. So those of you that have any number of the 15 to 20 million modern sporting rifles that are currently out there, the AR style M4 type platforms, he would require you to either using the uh, National Firearms Act um, to register them and or if you don't want to register them, confiscate them. And 
his uh, his guru, who he has informally appointed as the person in charge, the gun guru, Beto O'Rourke, said, you're darn right, we'll come out and get him if you don't turn him in. And they'll make criminal, they'll turn a, a totally law-abiding situation into a major a felony and uh, kind of upset a whole pe- lot of people's lives if they have their way. Uh, the other thing that is involved in, in that legislation is he will outright appeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Now, that uh, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is a piece of legislation that, prote- that protects gun and ammunition manufacturers from frivolous lawsuits. Um, basically, the way the Biden administration would like to proceed is that if an individual uses a gun to commit a criminal act, they want to be able to have people come back and file a frivolous lawsuit and cost the manufacturers millions and millions of dollars in legal fees, which will basically turn them upside down and not be, make them be able to um, practice uh, the manufacture and distribution of firearms. And this is not a new tactic. This is something that they have done in the past. These lawsuits have been filed, and they were they finally, with that Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, they started to slow down, but uh, this is still, this is one of the main tools of the anti-gun crowd to go in and eliminate the source rather than trying to stop the purchase. Uh, and we, because we're, we don't want to infringe your right, your Second Amendment rights. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying to stop you from having guns, but we are going to make it impossible for you to find them. And basically what they're doing there, they're saying, just like if you buy a car and you go out and you get schnookered over the holidays and you get involved in a DUI-related accident, which is your fault for getting drunk and your fault for being irresponsible, they want to be able to not only come at you, but they want to be able to be able to come at the car manufacturers. That's the, that's the similarity here when you're talking about them coming after people who have guns. And the distillers. And the distillers, yes. So they're looking at just different ways um, to, to, to basically make it impossible for these people to practice. Um, in addition, now we talk about the modern sporting rifle, and they, they have uh, demonized that gun for many years. And you got to understand, Biden is the author and chief architect of not only the 94 crime bill, but also the 86 crime bill, which resulted in a lot of provisions that had to do with truth in sentencing, extension of um, uh, prison sentences for various offenses, mostly drug-related um, they also, during the 94 to 2004 period, everybody thinks the, the crime bill, when they talk about it, was the, the, the assault weapons ban. Well, the, the, their term assault weapon was nothing more than a making um, uh, illegal to purchase uh, certain configurations of M4 uh, AR style rifles and have them in your possession for that 10 year period starting in 94 and ending in 2004. And they made the claim that that provision in and of itself resulted in a decrease in crime when in and, fact yeah and to be fair none of the provisions that they that they restricted had anything to do with the functional operation of the weapon and as i'm sure you were about to say the the review of what happened during those 10 years was that there was no impact at all on crime no. because those firearms are rarely used in crimes anyway. Yeah, and, and th- that's the bottom line. They're rarely used in crimes. And even if you take the most infamous mass shootings, and, and don't get me wrong, um, they're, they're tragic, they're horrific. You're looking at in the hundreds of people that have been killed in, a, in about six or eight of the most uh, significant mass shootings over the last 25 years or so, four of which have occurred in the last five years, um, uh, Las Vegas and, and Parkland 
and uh, a couple of the others uh, where individuals used uh, those those types of, of firearms. But if you look at that period of 94 to 2004, um, the the number of those types of guns that were produced since the ban was uh, the, the sunset clause uh, kicked in in uh, 2004, there have been over 10 million, probably close to 12 million additional guns, MSR, modern sporting rifles that have been produced, yet the number of people who have been killed by rifles in a broad category still remains consistent with what it was before and during that period of time. So you would think that if the um, that ban had any effect at all, that as soon as the ban was uh, uh, lifted, that there would have been an exorbitant increase in the number of people killed with rifles, in particular MSR rifles, and the exact opposite has occurred. Maybe not exorbitant, but just some measurable, statistically significant yeah. increase, and there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't. I mean, the numbers were in the hundreds. Uh, the number of people killed by rifles in general ranged from, um, uh, since the, 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 the expiration of that law, has ranged from in the high 300s to the low 700s, and that was the same kind of range that they had back when the, the law was in effect. So those are two big provisions you need to keep your eyes and ears uh um, tuned into. In addition, when we talk about um, the, the assault weapons ban concept, they're also going to go after magazines, and they're not restricting it to rifle magazines. They're looking at any magazine that holds more than 10 or 10 or more rounds. I can't remember the specific language, but for those of you that have Glocks, you have a 15-round magazine, they want to confiscate that magazine, or they want to restrict access to that kind of magazine. Um, in addition to those types of provisions relative to um, the Second Amendment, um, there's no question that uh, Biden and Harris's avoidance of the question of whether or not they want to pack the court, given the current um, debate going on about the, um, the uh, instatement or the um, putting... Uh, confirmation. Com- yeah, the confirmation. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. The confirmation of the current ju- uh, justice candidate, Miss um, Barrett. And uh, given that debate, that discussion... Um, they will not come clean as to whether or not they want to pack the court. And the way I look at things like that, when you're asked a question, do you support the packing of the court, and your answer is anything but no, it's a yes. And they have avoided it, avoided it, avoided it, and anybody with any sense at all knows that that's their intention. It's been their intention, and it really wasn't provoked strictly by the current situation. It's something they've wanted to do for a long time. Um, When they can't get things passed legislatively, they want to have the courts take care of it for them. They want people sitting on the court that are going to um, uh, be able to um, use Eliminate the legal system and, to, and to enact things their... without even having a law. Absolutely. In addition, they want to undo the Constitution. Um, there's no doubt. Just look at what's going on in the last month. They want to limit um, or punish certain types of speech that isn't consistent with the way they feel and the things they believe in. They obviously want to erode the Second Amendment, but even more important than that, they will take due process to undue process. They don't care about due process. They have no uh, due process is mentioned in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution for a reason, because it's a critical aspect when an accused has to answer to charges. He has to be given due process through the criminal process in order to be able to defend him or herself. Um, That includes being able to get counsel. That includes certain preliminary hearings that have to take place so that evidence can be obtained. Um, Rules of evidence have to kick in. All sorts of things, the way the trial is conducted, trial by jury, 
uh, whatever the case might be, they don't care about due process. And they've made that very clear over the last several years, the way they've handled several legal matters that have uh, um, been widely publicized on, on television. In addition, we know they want to reimpose regulations on various industries, including uh, the fossil fuel industry. Um, I can't believe that there's even a close race in Pennsylvania when uh, that's that's where uh, my my family's home roots are. Um, when you have uh, a population that relied on coal, a population that now is uh, sustaining by fracking and um, uh, the fact that they are they have contributed significantly the state of Pennsylvania, along with other states to us becoming energy de independent and uh, now being one of the leading exporters net producer of, of yeah, fossil fuels uh, fossil fuels so um uh, we know that uh, even though he won't come out and say it matter of fact recently uh, he himself has said, no, I don't necessarily believe with the provisions of the Green New Deal. We know the people behind him are promoting the Green New Deal, and they're trying to force feed it, and they're just looking for the right opportunity to sneak it in in a roundabout way and change the way we do business. Um, I, I'm just uh, – those are just some of the things that I think you need to tune into. Uh, we, we have a uh, – we don't have a perfect country. But uh, recently they said uh, there's an ad apparently out where uh, Biden says that uh, uh, he basically says that we, we did it wrong. Um, the, the, the shaping of America didn't go the right way. And I, I totally disagree. I think we've done a remarkable job. We've made some mistakes along the way. We've corrected a lot of the mistakes. We're constantly looking to strive to get better. And we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Yeah. And it and it's a country that draws people from all over the world. And you hear many of the comments from people who have come from real socialism, real communism, and they look at where we are and where we're headed, and they see the same thing happening that happened in their countries when all everything fell apart. Back, for example, in the revolution in Russia that then created the Soviet Union. Uh, and, and you see people, who, and you've heard people, their testimonies of what it was like then, and what they're seeing happening now and how it just completely scares them because they realize we're, it wouldn't take much. It didn't take much in Germany. It, was, it took a charismatic leader who just had really good-sounding words and not enough people stood up against it. it. It doesn't take much. It only takes maybe one generation or even less. It could happen much more quickly than that if people aren't willing to be critical thinkers pay attention, and then vote based on information rather than feelings. It could be an election cycle or two, and it could totally change the way we do business. It really wouldn't, it wouldn't take long at all. All right, we need to take our first break for the hour. If you'd like to contact us, go to our website at sim-trainer.com, click on the contact link, and send us an email. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and I'm so glad you tuned in today to listen to us on, on one of the, the two election special pre-recorded editions of Shooting from the Hip that we'll be bringing, uh, bringing you over the next couple weeks. Um, I just wanted to talk now a little bit about uh, the economic impact and the current situation um, in the firearms industry. Uh, earlier this year, I'd reported that uh, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, in conjunction with business and industry, had reported that there was an increase in the total economic impact 
of the shooting sports industry from $19.1 billion in 2008 to get this number, $60 billion in 2019, a 213% increase. Now, just keep those numbers in mind and kind of you can probably guess where I'm going with this right now. Imagine now that here we now are now in 2020, even as bad as things have been relative to the pandemic, when you look at this industry, I think the numbers are going to be off the charts. It's going to take them a long time just to actually write the numbers down and figure out what they actually say. Because when you look at that increase and you consider that just in number of new gun owners increasing, get this number, 5 million over the number of gun owners last year. That's estimated, but that's also based on information relative to people who have um, uh, went through the um, the, the NIC system to purchase a firearm. Keeping in mind, there are a lot of people who are multiple gun purchasers. They purchase on a on multiple times. But based on our own observations and based on the observations of the people we're in touch with, the overwhelming majority, and we estimate that to be between 60 and 80% of the people that have come to us over the last six months are new gun owners. Now, we had take, a concealed carry class this week, and almost everyone in that class had taken our basic handgun class before that. That's an indicator we're talking about, if not new gun owners, at least new handgunners. That's exactly right. And you look at that, and you just spread that out over gun purchases, ammunition, accessories, training. We're, we're in the industry, um, so it's, you, that number has to go significantly greater um, next year when they look at 2020. And I think as Mark's reported just last week or the week before, the number, the highest number of NICS checks run ever has already been superseded in only three quarters of a year. And we still have a quarter to go. And it could be a huge quarter because we've got Black Friday, we got Christmas, we have post-election concerns, we have lots of things that could could drive that. Really, the only thing, Mark, that's going to slow that down is the availability or inavailability of product, which is a, and that's simply a, huge a supply factor. and demand issue. It would have been a, all the numbers we would have seen would have been much bigger numbers if we'd have had product that we would have been able to sell. People have been coming to us, have been going, not just us, but all over looking for firearms. I saw an ad for a gun that I wouldn't wish on anyone. It's an old Ruger, double action, single action. You're familiar with them. Yes. Over about for six hundred dollars. Yeah, that's that's something the price. that normally I mean, go for two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly, the most. and and because they had it, that was the price. Yeah, and and I was out at uh, the Cabela's headquarters in uh, Springfield, Missouri. It's ten times the store size of the store here. They had no nine millimeter, no three eighty, three Glock pistols, and they told us they're not expecting anything either, like the rest of the yeah, industry. Just like that. All right, we'll take a break and head into the news center. Again, if you'd like to contact us, go to our website at sim-trainer.com. Click on the contact link and send us an email. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290-957-WHIO. 
Welcome back to this pre-recorded broadcast of Shooting from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro in with Mark Avery, and we're from Sim Trainer. And if you're not familiar with the things we do, please uh, t- take the time and reach out to our website at sim-trainer.com and look at the various things that we offer, everything from training to uh, recreational shooting and competitive shooting experiences. And uh, when products are available, just before the break, I was talking about the unavailability, unavailability of products. We uh, certainly have a, a full line of uh, um, firearms and uh, ammo and accessories that we will offer you. We try to get as much as we can on a regular basis. Right now, there's not a whole lot to have, but what we do have, we're extending to our customers. In the meantime, though, this is a great time to figure out what you want. And if you want to come to the range, we have a range program. We have several guns in that program, some of the best guns that are currently available, even though they may not be immediately available in the market, the ones that are being produced. And so if you'd like to try some of those out, maybe get some basic fundamentals training and then figure out which gun is the right gun for you, this is a good time to do that. Then start saving your nickels because when they come available, there's a lot of people going to want them. That's right. And um, if for those of you that have followed the show over the last few weeks, and even if you haven't, you can go back and uh, listen to the pre-recorded podcasts of the show. Um, I spent uh, 20 days out west, and uh, kind of the the highlight of the trip was a visit to the the Cody Gun Museum in Cody, Wyoming. And I bring that up because um, many of you are probably thinking about where you're going to go on vacation, what you're going to do, looking for ideas of things to do. Maybe it's not a vacation. It might just be get away from town. Um, I have to tell you, after going on this trip and seeing all the wonderful sites, uh, Cody is a great destination. The Firearms Museum would be great for you. If you're a novice handgunner, if you're, um, you think you know a little bit about guns, I want you to humble yourself uh, because if you weren't humbled by the discussion from, by Ashley over the last couple of weeks, uh, you took a very young lady in her young, early 30s who uh, really isn't a gun person in the sense that she runs out and shoots guns. She just went shooting for the first time a couple of years ago. But she is, according to my 40 years of experience around gun people, one of, if not the most knowledgeable person about the history of the gun in our culture, in our society, that I've ever met. Um, and the history of the guns themselves, in addition to the way they've been you know, impacting society, it's it's pretty comprehensive her her knowledge base and the things that she's studied and the research that she's done very impressive and the way they put it together it isn't just a walk around a display of a bunch of guns uh, for example I, I i mentioned before, if you're not a gun person you will still find it interesting absolutely absolutely just from a historical perspective and from a knowledge perspective um, there are several displays where there's a little bit of reading there are some guns there are some other items and they put it in the context of how everything came together one of the more interesting was ones that i i found was uh they they have a kind of a rotating display about guns and how they're portrayed in in television shows and the movies and um it's kind of a they update it periodically but uh, the one that was on display in the western section had to do remember many of you probably remember uh high chaparral and bonanza they had hosses holster and uh and rig uh, that, that he carried along with a couple of his six guns and and uh, some lever action rifles and his uh, you know his, his little rounded rounded off top hat and some different things but uh, it was very nostalgic very interesting and and uh, in these times I, I have to tell you we, we we planned the trip which was the trip of the lifetime by the way and if you followed my 
my uh, postings on Facebook. Of course, this is coming from someone who had never before been west of the Mississippi. That's exactly so, right. Yeah, it, it, it was still. It was, for me, the trip of the lifetime. And um, I have no desire to go anywhere else but back there again right now. Now, there's some other things I'll probably do, but uh, um, it, it's just a great destination. And um, when you when you think about... Um, when you want to do this, they tell you the summer is a bad time. As you can imagine, going a lot of places in the summertime, that's when everybody, kids are off school for, in a normal world. Um, they don't want to go in the summer because basically from May to August is their peak season. So we, ob- for we international obviously were told, visitors too. yeah, we were obviously told that the um, mid to late September into October was the best time, which is true. However, what's happening now with people doing distance learning, every single campground that we stayed at was full. There was not an extra space, and lucky we made prior plans, and a couple of them we didn't, and we did remote camping. There are places out there where you can just pull up in a national park, and as long as it doesn't have a prohibition, you can go and you can park wherever the legitimate parking areas, and we had to do that on two nights because there were no places available, and we were talking to people out there, both other campers and some of the staff, and they said, well, since they're doing distance learning, a lot of parents just decided to pack their kids and their family up in a camper, bring their computers, and do their distance learning their on the road and go live it, with them. go live history instead of just reading about history, so we saw a lot of that, but uh, getting back to the the, the Cody Museum and this whole concept of, of, of the gun industry. Um, there's another, they, they say, and you heard Ashley mention that if you, if you tuned into either of the two segments, that they have a slightly larger um, collection of firearms than the NRA Museum has um, at their headquarters. And it's only a few hundred more, but nonetheless, it's extensive. It's a significantly larger display it, yeah. than they have because of the space. They yes. have a much larger facility. And the same is true for the Smithsonian. I mean, there's a lot of guns at the Smithsonian, but there aren't that many that would be on display because they just don't have the room. They don't have the room. This is devoted strictly to guns, or at least this one segment, because the other segments there aren't as big as the gun museum, but they're equally interesting. For example, I, there's one display about the High Plains Indians, and I didn't think much about that. I thought, well, I'll take some time and go through it. And I ended up spending almost two hours. The art was tremendous. The realistic, the teepees that they had uh, taken from old, the old days, and, and they have them delicately displayed um, in, that, in that location, along with the, the wilderness scenes they had. It was just absolutely fascinating. So uh, even if you're not, uh, if mom and dad and the kids go and mom really doesn't care to maybe just walk through the gun section, there's going to be plenty of other three other museums that she's going to be able to walk through along with the kids, and they're going to have a great time. Um, in the town of Cody, they have a western town that they've um, recovered buildings from different places out west, and they put them all together in what's called Trail Town. And uh, it's just old-style buildings, actual buildings that are there. And they, they have, for example, a, a livery and a, a saloon and a school. Something interesting about the schools. Uh, some of you may have heard me say this before, and I, I might have mentioned it. The, the school was an actual old 1850s schoolroom. And in the back wall of the school, and this was an actual schoolroom, it was a metal sign advertising Winchester repeating rifles. Hmm. And inside the school. Now, obviously, my listeners know that uh, that's something that probably would not be even entertained as a, a remote possibility these days to even have a sign that depicted a gun on the back of a school uh, classroom or anywhere in the school. But that was something that they probably didn't think anything about it. Well, you know, it wasn't that long ago that schools in the United States had ranges, 22 rifle ranges in the basement or somewhere on the school property, and rifle teams and 
kids that would bring their guns to school and then go home and hunt on the way home. That was not unusual at all. And now, of course, we see this as some sort of uh, drastic, you know, horrible thing. But memories are very short. And it's time that we start refreshing some memories. Yeah, and you know the nice thing about what I said there, just that very issue, the history of the evolution and the integration of the gun into society is well depicted there. And Ashley mentioned in uh, the second segment, I believe it wasn't until post-World War II, probably even Vietnam era, where those things started to get pulled back. Um, I remember as a young kid in the, in the mid-60s, just what Mark was saying. There were places where you could go. I, I remember vividly taking a my first twenty two rifle, hold, throwing it across my handlebars of my uh, banana seat bike, and driving down to the... Um, Bringing it uh, in for show and tell? No, 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 oh. no. We, we were just driving right down through town. We went down to the... We had a place called Masson Wash Gravel. It was a big gravel pit, and they had the back 40 area where basically as long as you didn't do anything bad, you could go back there and shoot your guns. And this was inside the city limits. And we would stop at the trading post. And the guy at the trading post, it was 53 cents for my first box of uh, 50, 22 shells. <laughs> and of course, back then, we didn't have much money. So yeah. on the way down there, we would steal a box, a pack of eight pop bottles from somebody's back porch because that was 40 cents. Five times 40, if you remember, pop bottles was 40. And he had to scrounge 13 more cents together. And you were able to get a box of 22 and go shoot them. Now, those are probably my worst days. Those were my worst days when I stole a box, a bottle of uh, empty eight bottles. RC, empty RC <laughs> bottles from the back of somebody's porch who probably wasn't going to take them back anyway, but I should have given him the benefit of the doubt. But it was instant gratification for us because it was 53 cents in a box of 50 rounds of Did 22. that end your life of crime? No. No, yeah, not yeah, quite. Was, <laughs> I probably did some things that weren't... Uh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, we won't yeah, talk about that yeah. in here. But, um, you know, that was, that was pretty common. And I remember going out to my uncle's farm and the gun was propped up in the corner of the... Uh, of the room it wasn't loaded and there were rules that had to be followed and the rule was that we couldn't until the work was done of course you live on a farm there's always work to be done so the rules were you get the work done we'll go set up some targets and the targets were pretty much anything we could find around the farm um, you know metal targets had have nothing over to what my uncle came up with back in back in the day because it was whatever he could concoct and there were some pretty neat things but we had to get the work done and then we went out and and shot rifles under his supervision and we knew the rules and when we were done everybody had to check it not only the last person that shot everybody had to check it and it had to go back to the same location and everybody knew even though at the time we were only nine to 12 years old everybody knew you don't touch it except when uncle hank says that it's okay to touch the gun so those are things i mean the, the history of the gun the evolution of the gun in our society um just just seeing just seeing the world war ii display i mean you, you hear things all the time i was always impressed i still record every week and i had to record all three weeks of the show combat Combat and um, uh, Garrison Guerrillas and uh, 12 O'Clock High were World War II uh, sh uh, shows that were on in the 60s, maybe late 50s and 60s, and I watched them religiously. And I was, I was obsessed with uh, um, the gun that uh, on combat that the sergeant carried. It was uh, um, the machine gun he had was the, oh gosh, the famous... Thompson, oh, Thompson okay. machine gun. And uh, as luck would have it, when I opened this range in 2004, within about a month or two, one of my friends who I didn't even know collected those kinds of guns came in with a Thompson and he let me shoot a full automatic Thompson. And it was really neat. And um, uh, he actually my wife accompanied, loved it. Yeah, he she actually accompanied me on this trip. And uh, uh, but uh, it was interesting because everything that Ashley said was pretty much new or of new interest to me. Um, most of it 
much of it, I should say, is stuff that Chuck already knew about because he he is he's very well versed when it comes to those things. But he just had a great time too, and uh, just being able to walk through those halls and see those guns, just that World War II display. Um, you, you didn't, and it wasn't only American guns. It was uh, the Japanese guns, the German guns, the uh, English guns. Um, there were some guns that I didn't even know. Um, I didn't know the history of the Sten. I didn't know that the, that was an English gun and, and the way it the way it evolved. But it's all it's all right there, and it's uh, it's just there for the the waiting for you to step in and and indulge yourself. But uh, um, I know some of you probably followed me. Um, on Facebook, and I tried to do the best I could, kind of keeping you excited about some of the things I was doing. But in particular, that was the Mecca. The, the, the gun museum was the Mecca, even though there were so many other things that I enjoyed tremendously, including riding a horse. Now, that's old hat to you, Mark, because your wife and daughter were, were Actually, horse riders. Yeah, they were, but I'm yeah. not. Oh, you so were not? Okay, I'm, so you would yeah. enjoy the same yeah. thing. You're, you're my size, and you've been discriminated against all your lives. Um, because we, we need draft horses. That's, yeah. Well, the <laughs> old Arizona was the horse I got to ride, and he took me on the ride of my life up a mountain. That's super. Two hours out, up, and then about an hour down, and it was just uh, very interesting. So it was a great trip, a lot of good things, uh, but the, the gun history and the knowledge that Ashley shared with us is just tremendous, and I think that's going to be one that those two shows, whether independently in and of themselves or pushed together, somebody wants to just sit around on a weekend and learn something about gun history, those two shows will fill your mind with a whole bunch of good information. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. So if you'd like to get those, you can get them in the raw version on our Facebook page at um, facebook.com slash simtrainer, and both of those videos were streamed live on Facebook, and they're still out there. Very popular views. Or you can go to our website at sim-trainer.com slash radio, and the, the two weeks that we rebroadcast the, the audio from those two shows, uh, it's, it's been edited to cut up to make it fit in the radio program, but almost all the content is there. Maybe some of the color is missing, but that's about it. She was a colorful individual. Uh, it, was, it was really fun to listen to. All right, we need to take a break. Uh, this is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, WHIO. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show, and uh, I want to take these last few minutes just to remind everybody that... Uh, being within two weeks of the election, uh, you've got a couple of options. Number one, you can go down to your county board of elections and you can vote early. Just make sure you call to make sure you're going to the right location. Um, that's one option. Or on election day, just make sure you get your calendar cleared so you can vote and make sure that your vote counts. If you um, have already received an absentee ballot, you can drop it off at the Board of Elections also. So that's a, that's a third option. It's too late to request one if you don't already have it. Right. So um, the biggest thing that we can tell people, the, all the issues that we talk about are ultimately going to be decided on uh, uh, the vote, how the vote turns out on um, two, less than two weeks from now on Tuesday the 3rd. So um, early voting, you can go to your Board of Elections. Uh, you can turn in your absentee ballot at the Board of Elections. You won't be able to mail it in this late. Or you can wait till um, uh, November 3rd, and you can actually vote at your, your polling location. Make sure you have all that stuff in line. You're ready to do it, ready to go. Your vote counts, and boy, is it going to be significant this year. So uh, uh, we can't emphasize enough how important this election is on so many different uh, 
um, fronts. But uh, one thing, the other, if you didn't get a chance to tune into the uh, to the debate, um, you could probably, like Mark mentioned earlier, you can go back and uh, find out uh, how things went on uh, this past Thursday, the last debate, and you can uh, help. Maybe that will help make make your mind up, or um, maybe it'll raise a few questions that you can hopefully answer yourself or get answered uh, uh, before you you punch the punch the ballot. But and we're uh, not being really coy about this. We haven't heard the debate yet either because it hasn't. When we're recording this show, it hasn't happened yet. So we're going to be tuned in to listen to it very carefully as well, and and hope that you do. I'm going to. In fact, I have it recorded on my DVR so that I can go back and watch it again if I need to pick up some additional details. Um, one other thing I will mention, uh, Mark and I have been following what I think is uh, good news. Uh, it looks like Spring Valley Shooting Range is going to open sometime this fall. We don't know exactly when. Um, initial indications where it might be open this weekend, but we hear now that it's only the shotgun and the archery range that's open this weekend. And there's hope that the um, the pistol and the rifle range may open next week on the 31st, but uh, they're at least moving in the right direction. We've waited a long time, well over a year from the uh, uh, initial opening. I know they had some issues they had to take care of. We hope that that's all behind us because I hear it's a great facility and it's going to be wonderful for everybody to take advantage of. This weekend, uh, Mark and I are lucky to be able to go down to a friend's house in uh, southern Ohio where we're going to get to shoot rifles out to 500 yards, and we're really excited about that opportunity. We do it on an annual basis and uh it's kind of something we look forward to but once uh spring valley gets up and running we'll be able to take at least a couple hundred yard shots on a more regular basis with the range that's right in our backyard so and and that is one of the big improvements is that they're going to have a place that you'll be able to go to 200 yards now so uh that's that's going to be a big improvement down there not that hunting you have many opportunities at that distance in ohio but it's it's nice to be able to know that you can you know reach out and touch if you really want to it's it's been far too long that that has been in works they were all ready to open it and then it failed in inspection and there was some discussion as to whose fault it was and so fortunately it looks like most of those things are now getting close to being resolved right. there are a lot of frustration a lot of finger pointing but the bottom line is it looks like they've turned the corner we're all going to get to enjoy it here soon. Thanks for being with us. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM, Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station.